So when, when you hear the word greed, what comes to mind? When you hear the word greed, what are some images that maybe come to mind? Maybe you think of a person. Um, maybe you think of someone like this, someone like uh, Scrooge. You maybe think of the Dickens novel, A Christmas Carol, when you think of maybe greed. Maybe you uh, think of the Grinch. That's most of you on a Monday morning anyways, amen? And uh, before your first cup of coffee, right? And uh, yeah, that's gracious to some. Uh, so maybe when you think of greed, you think of guys like this, right? Just greedy. Um, maybe when we hear the word greed, uh, we think of big corporations, big companies. Uh, this, of course, is British Petroleum, where most of us uh, get our petrol, uh, they just announced their quarterly profit. Uh, and their profit this quarter was 7 billion pounds. So that's three months. That's three months. And that's profit. That's after all the expenses of drilling and equipment and salaries. After they paid all of their bills, their take home was 7 billion now, it's hard to get our head around that kind of a number, so I kind of broke it down uh, to get my head around it. That's 77.7 million pounds per day. So every day, profit, that's 77.7 million pounds. I broke it down a little f- further because I can't get my head around that. That's uh, every hour, 3.2 million pounds. So by the time we're done here this morning... BP would have made over 3 million pounds. That's every hour, right? And so, doesn't make them wicked or evil, but maybe it does. I don't know how they spend their money. I know they're not slashing petrol prices, amen? So, maybe we think of a big company. Maybe we think of individuals, corporations. Maybe we think of, and I'm I'm not picking on Brother Jobs. I'm sure he was a lovely man. Um, But when he was in control of Apple, every year Apple was listed in the top five least generous corporations on the planet. Least generous corporations on the planet every year that he was over Apple. Um, Notoriously, if you read his biography, um, he gave almost nothing to charity. A lot of people thought that after his death, maybe it would kind of then come out that he had been given loads of money secretly and his family admitted, no, that's not going to come out. That's just not who he was. Um, uh, Do you know how much he left when he died? All of it. Exactly right, Paul. He left all of it. All of that that he held on to stayed here. Uh, By the way, he left nothing to his children. Um, and, and so, um, again, not picking on the man, that's just his life story, right? Maybe these are some of the things, and we could think of other examples when we think of greed. Now, you might find this interesting, but in the Bible, in the teachings of Jesus, in his three years of teaching, Jesus taught more about greed than he did about heaven, than he did about hell, than he did about sexuality, Then he did about marriage. Jesus spoke more about stewardship than any other subject. Uh, It was 
really you see two main topics of the teaching of Jesus, the kingdom of God and what it looks like to be a citizen of the kingdom of God, and then coming out of that, what greed and generosity looks like as citizens of the kingdom. It was one of his favorite topics. Um, And so as we this summer are just looking at different parables uh, that Jesus taught, we're going to spend a few moments looking at Uh, the parable of the rich fool. So I want to invite you uh, to turn with me to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, and we're going to begin in verse 13. Luke chapter 12, we're going to begin in verse 13. And uh, on your table, that's page 1044 in the uh, the Bible there on your table. Um, And so Jesus is going to teach us about uh, generosity and greed by telling a story, a parable. And so let's see, uh, let's see what happens. Jesus is uh, teaching the people, and then we pick up in verse 13. Now, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then Jesus said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And Jesus told them this parable, this story. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And the man thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, ah, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we uh, thank you for your word. We thank you that it is true. Jesus, we certainly live in a day, in a society, in a culture, Lord, where greed is all around us. It's in us. It's through us. It surrounds us. And Lord, we... Uh, are vulnerable to it like all people. And so we just pray over these next few moments as we study your word, we pray that you would open our minds by your Holy Spirit and give us understanding of your word. And we pray, Jesus, by your Holy Spirit, that you would soften our hearts and that you would teach us, make us more like you, Jesus. Lord, I just want to pray that you would just maybe just, just kind of shine the light of your word on all of our hearts this morning, and maybe there's greed within us that we're not even aware of. So would you just reveal to us, Lord, if that might be the case, and we pray that you would remove that and fill it with your love and with your peace and with your joy. Speak to us now, we humbly ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, this is kind of your, your standard uh, white bread definition of greed Uh, from the Cambridge Dictionary, a strong, selfish desire to have more of something, more than is necessary or fair. 
a strong, selfish desire to have more of something, more than is necessary or fair. And that's a pretty standard definition, isn't it, in our culture, that greed is basically just wanting more of something, more than I need, right? More than's fair. Maybe someone over there has less. I have 10 toys and they have one toy, right? Um, and so that is kind of the standard definition, and, and we would affirm that. But, but as with most things, the definition that Jesus gives is much stronger. And we see this throughout the teachings of Jesus. We see it, for example, in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, uh, you've heard thou shalt not murder, but I say if you're angry with your brother in your heart, you've already committed murder. Right? Jesus says, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say, if you lust for a woman in your heart, you've already committed adultery. Jesus always takes the standard and does what? Lifts it to the impossible, right? Lifts it to the impossible. And that's what he's going to do with greed. And so this is the New Testament definition of greed. Um, it, it comes from the, uh, the Greek word uh, pleonexia. It, it's used ten times in the New Testament, all right? Uh, pleonexia, and it, it means this, ruthless self-seeking, the arrogant assumption that all things, including people, exist for one's own benefit. That, that, now see, Jesus has this wonderful way of, of like making it personal, doesn't he? Right? Because it's easy for me to go, yes, yeah, Steve Jobs was greedy. He, he had all the toys he didn't share. BP's greedy. They have all the toys and don't share. Jesus says, wait a minute. That's really not what greed is. Jesus says it involves arrogance, right? It involves selfishness, self-seeking. But it's the assumption that all things, including people, exist for my benefit. And so now greed is not just about money. Greed can be about, for example, the way I view the opposite sex, right? Do, do, do I view, and, and the, way we, the way we portray women in movies and in the media, do I just view women as their existence is to gratify my own benefit, to gratify my own desire, my own pleasure? That's greed. Uh, uh, so uh, that's just one example of many where we can say it's no longer just about money, but it's about this view that somehow the world exists to make me happy, right? And, and so this is the definition then that, that Jesus goes with. And so when Jesus says, look in your Bible, when he says in verse 15, then Jesus said to them, watch out and be on your guard against all kinds of ruthless self-seeking. That's what Jesus is talking about, this here, all right? And so we're going to do a little kind of self-analysis at the end, but keep that definition in mind. So how do we avoid that? By the way, have, have you ever met someone like that? We all have, right? And if you never have, it might be because you're that guy, right? Like, have you ever met someone who just kind of thought the world revolved around them? Is that someone you desire to be around? Of course not. Like, right? That's, that's, that's not someone you want to spend the day with. That, that's not someone you enjoy having over for a meal. Um, uh, someone who just wants to talk about themselves all the time, right? And so here's the question. How do we guard against this? 
How do we guard against this? How do we keep from being this kind of people? And so we're just going to see four simple truths that Jesus gives us to help us overcome the temptation of greed because it's with us all the time. Because the problem with greed, like all sin, it's not external. Greed doesn't work from the outside in. It works from what? The inside out, right? Uh, Greed begins inside of me and then I express it externally, right? And so how do I overcome the temptation of greed? Four uh, simple uh, truths Jesus gives. Uh, First of all, he says this, as a disciple of Jesus, I overcome greed by guarding my heart and mind. Uh, As a disciple of Jesus, I overcome greed by guarding my heart and mind. In verse 15, uh, then Jesus said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. In other words, Jesus says, I have to have an intentionality. I have to uh, take action. I have to be proactive in not being greedy. Now think about that again. I have to be proactive in not being greedy. Um, I, I, I imagine they do it here in the primary schools. Max can tell me or well, anyone here who's been to primary school in England. Did you, did you do fire drills in school? Okay, yes. Yeah. So <clears throat> when, uh, when we were in school, we had two drills that Christy and I would have done in our hometown. Um, and, uh, and I'm not sure if Grant and Jennifer had these, but we always had fire drills and we had tornado drills. A tsunami drill. That, that's, there you go. So uh, we, when, when we were children in school, we would practice what to do if there was a fire, right, and what the procedures were, and then what to do if there was a tornado. And so that way, if it happened, everyone knew what to do. Right now, that's that's what this phrase "watch out" means. It means to, in the Greek, it means to take heed or beware. Uh, in other words, you do a fire drill because you want to be ready if it happens. You're looking out for it, and you're ready. Jesus says that's the approach we have to take with greed. We have to constantly be on the lookout. Uh, where Christy and I grew up in America, it's a very mountainous region. Uh, they don't have them as much anymore because of technology. But when we were growing up, they had fire towers. And there's one you can still see from our home in America. And these fire towers, Google it, not now, but later, they're, they're just literally these massive, massive um, towers that go really high up. And then at the top of the tower, there's like a, a kind of like a 10 by 10 little building that sits on top of it. And there would be something, someone who worked for the park service in that tower 24 hours a day. And their job was to be on the lookout for forest fires. And you have to remember, this is before you know, satellites and Google and all those things. So there literally was a man or woman in that tower all of the time looking out to make sure if there was a fire, they would call it in, Right? And so it's this idea of watch out. He says, I need to be looking out into my heart to make sure that greed and the first little puff of greed smoke that I see, I want to put it out just like that. And we're going to talk about how to do that in a minute, right? But I want to be on the lookout for it. All of these sins like lust and greed and pride, um, I've I've got to be up in the watchtower, Uh, me and the Holy Spirit and the word, right? And, and, and the Holy Spirit and the Word, we've got to be up there on the lookout 
Because I know it creeps into my heart just like that. Uh, James says this. uh, James says that a massive fire starts with one little what? Spark, right? One little spark. And and so uh, lust, greed, whatever it is, starts in my heart with one little spark. So I want to be on the watch out for it. So uh, the first step is just acknowledging, man, I've got to be looking out for this thing because it's real and, uh, and it can really impact my life and my family. And so the first step to overcoming greed is guarding my heart and mind. Secondly, uh, we see this, that as a disciple of Jesus, I overcome greed by remembering the source of real joy. As a disciple of Jesus, I overcome greed by remembering the source of real joy. Look at your Bible. We're just going verse by verse. Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. And then he says this, for life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Life does not consist in an abundance of possession. Now, um, uh, the key word here in this sentence that Jesus gives is life. Because the word life here is, is for them would be the word shalom. And it's not just the idea of you're alive, like you have a heartbeat and brain function, but it's the idea of blessing, right? And so it's the idea of not just being alive. Listen, you can be alive, but not enjoy life. Is that true? A lot of people are alive, but don't enjoy living, right? And so the word shalom, it's this idea in Hebrew, and then they had a Greek corresponding word to it, that it's like a life of blessing, a life of joy, of happiness, right? And, And so he says a life of blessing, right? A life of blessing, joy, happiness does not result, does does not happen because you have a lot of stuff. That's what Jesus is saying. Um, uh, listen, uh, just because you have a lot of stuff, in fact, sometimes the more stuff you have, the more unhappy you can be. Is that true? Sometimes the more stuff you have, the more unhappy you can be because you just have more to pay for. And the more, you, you know what, all uh, I, I was thinking as Dan was, was in there amazingly building boxes, um, I, I was thinking that, have you, ever, have you ever just thought that your house is essentially just a box for all your stuff? You ever thought about that? Uh, and that didn't originate with me. I heard a stand-up comedian do a whole routine on that. Your house is nothing more than a box for all your stuff. That's why when you were 21 and single, you had a little house because you didn't have much stuff. Is that true? And then you got married, you had to get a bigger house. Why? Because your stuff doubled, right? Because now your wife has stuff. And then you had kids, and you might need a bigger house because what, what happens? Your kids have stuff. Is that right? And, and, and so uh, your house is just a box for your stuff. And then what happens is it's this glorious kind of circle of life. You get to retirement age and you have a smaller house because you got rid of the kids and all their stuff. Right? Uh, sometimes we think the bigger the house, the more the stuff, the happier I'll be. It's amazing to me. Amazing. When you look at the number of celebrities across the ages, who have died of drug overdoses. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. People who the world would say had every reason to be happy. Uh, They had all the stuff, all the fame, and all the fortune, 
and they die on a floor with a needle in their arm because they were so unhappy. And, and, and Jesus is saying, just remember that a life of happiness, of blessing, does not consist in an abundance of stuff, right? Um, uh, so where then does a life of blessing come from, right? Because I'm, I'm trying to get over greed, and so if my stuff is not going to make me happy, then what's going to make me happy? Uh, by the way, a, a perfect example of stuff not making people happy is whenever a new iPhone model comes out, right? Oh, that's so yesterday's model, right? And all of a sudden, people are camping out in front of the Apple store. Like, all of a sudden, that'll make me happy. So the question is then, what will make me happy? And thankfully, Jesus answers that question for us in the Gospel of John. And Jesus is comparing himself to Satan. And uh, so in this, Satan is the thief. And he says, a thief, the enemy, the devil, comes to only steal and to kill and destroy. But I, meaning Jesus have come so that they may have life, there's that word, shalom, and have it in abundance. Have it in abundance. Jesus says, the reason I've come is to give real happiness and joy to all people. Uh, the, the, your, your job is going to let you down. Your marriage is going to let you down. Your kids are going to let you down. Your material possessions are going to let you down. And you will always come up just a wee bit short of ever being happy or joyful. And Jesus says, it's a bit like there's this leak in us. And, and we fill ourselves up with things we think will make us happy. But it just slowly leaks out. And the only thing we can place inside of us that never leaks out is Jesus himself. And he says, I've come to give you life and that more abundantly. The word abundance here is the, the Greek word they used to describe pumping water into a bucket and then the water, the bucket not being able to hold all the water. Isn't that beautiful? So Jesus says, if you ever want to know how happy I want you to be, it's like this. Take a glass and put it under the tap and just hold it there. And the glass, eventually what happens to the water? It just runs out because the glass cannot contain it. And he says, listen, uh, you're the glass and my Holy Spirit is the water, and I just want to keep filling you until your joy runs over. Now, let me ask you, have you ever been around a person like that? I have, and it's, it's contagious. I remember I didn't grow up in, in a Christian home, didn't grow up in a, as a Christian, but I remember the first man I met who was like that, and I remember thinking, I don't know what it is that he has, but I want it. I couldn't put a description to it. I couldn't put a name to it, but when I was around him, there was something overflowing out of his life that just got everybody wet and everybody enjoyed it. Are you with me? And Jesus says, that's one of the reasons I've come. I haven't come to give you a bunch of rules and regulations. I haven't come to condemn you. John says in John three seventeen, you know, he didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. Jesus said, I've come to give you life blessing and happiness and have it where you have so much of it you can't contain it. Can I tell you what? The poorest man in the room can have that joy and the richest man in the room can have none of it. Yeah? Remember the first time we went to Africa, Christy and I were in Africa doing mission work and we lived with a Zulu family. They had nothing. No one in the church had anything. They would walk for hours to get to church and, and they had a joy that was inexpressible. 
And I remember on the flight back to America, and, and I, man, it was it was an 18-hour flight, and I couldn't sleep, I couldn't watch a movie. All I did was sit there and think, this makes no sense, because I'm now going back to an amazing house and two cars and an amazing job and all the material blessings of the world, and I'm leaving this Zulu family in Africa who have nothing, and they have a greater joy than I do. Why? Because their joy was all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And, and so as, as we want to overcome greed, we want to be on the lookout for it. But then we have to remember the true source of joy. And that is not what we have, but it's who has us. That's Jesus. It's not what we have, but it's who has us. That's Jesus. Uh, third, we see this. As a disciple of Jesus, I overcome greed by placing the needs of others before my own. I overcome greed by placing the needs of others before my own. Now, this guy had a bumper crop, right? Anything wrong with that? No, praise the Lord. Like, he planted stuff and it grew. That's a good thing, right? And, and so he had a wonderful crop, but then he goes into, in between verses 16 and 19, depending on what translation that you use, uh, if you look at your Bible, verse 16 to 19, he'll use the, either the phrase I or my 11 times. 11 times in some form. Depends on your translation. Uh, so uh, he, he says things like uh, my crops, my barns, my surplus. Uh, and then he says, so what will I do? It's mine. It's, they're my crops. They're my barns. They're my surplus. And I'm just going to take all of them And what am I going to do with them? He says, I'm going to take life easy. I'm going to eat. I'm going to drink. And I'm going to be merry. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. Who is basically he looking out for? Himself. Right? He's looking out for himself. I, me, my, mine. Right? Those are his favorite words. I, me, my, mine. Right? And so he's looking out for himself. Greed is always inward focused. Greed is always about how much more can I get. But notice what Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 20. Jesus says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life is a ransom for many. Jesus says that one of the keys to overcoming greed is focusing on the needs of other people. Focusing on the needs of other people. Uh, something amazing struck me a couple of years ago. I'd read through the Gospels, and for the first time, it, it just kind of leaped off the page of, of all the Gospels to me, was that in the four Gospels, you never find one time where Jesus did anything for himself. And, and I've mentioned that several times, and I've put the challenge out, and no one's ever been able to come back and find it. It's because it's not there. Uh, so... Uh, Feel free to take up the challenge because it'll make you read all four Gospels, and that's a good thing, right? But read all four Gospels and find one example where Jesus did something solely for himself. Solely for himself. It never says he was tired, so he zapped himself and got energy. It never says he was hungry, so he snapped his fingers and there was a lasagna, Right? He never did anything for himself. And I'll give you the absolute highlight of it. The absolute highlight is, 
It, it seems to be that, that one of the, uh, Jesus' best mates was his cousin John. They were cousins. They had known each other when they were both still in their mama's bellies. And, um, and, and they, they were very close. And if you remember, his cousin John is beheaded. And they bring the news to Jesus. And as you might imagine, Jesus is brokenhearted. He's absolutely devastated. I mean, they've literally just walked up and said, Jesus, we don't know how to tell you this, but your best mate is dead. The Bible says Jesus goes off to be alone to process that. And as he's going to be alone to grieve, they come to him and say, hey, this is probably a bad time, but there are 5,000 people here and they're all hungry. You remember what Jesus does? He takes a few pieces of bread, a few pieces of fish, and he feeds 5,000 men. We don't know how many women and children there would have been, probably thousands. Now, Jesus never even said, seriously? Like, you just told me my cousin is dead, and now you're coming to me and want me to get everybody's dinner. Like, can I not have five minutes to myself? Jesus never does anything for himself. And he says, he summarizes it here in Matthew. Here's the point. They're, they're, um, so I read an article this week um, in um, Popular Mechanics, which is a kind of science nerdy magazine. Anybody read it? Okay, thanks. And so I'm reading this article in Popular Mechanics, and it was amazing. You should read it. And it said that uh, scientists have discovered that when, the, when a human does something kind for another human, it releases uh, uh, endorphins in the brain, it releases dopamine that brings happiness. And it went into this whole scientific, like, and after about a page and a half, I quit reading because I thought the Bible said that a long time ago. But science, they, they literally did, did MRIs of people's brains who volunteer and who regularly give to other people, and they found that it actually, there's a physical reaction in the body that makes us have a sensation of happiness. And that's something. And, and so, again, Jesus has come to give us life and that more abundantly, so Jesus knows, you know what's going to make you really feel better about yourself and about life? is not to put yourself in the center of things, but put others in the center of things. And so, does that take intentionality? Absolutely. So I would ask you, what are you doing to regularly uh, serve and bless other people? Don't answer aloud, but what are you doing to regularly serve and bless other people? Um, uh, I'll give you an easy one. This is an easy one. It's one of my favorite things to do. Uh, I like buying meals for people. Um, I don't do it as much as I should, but I absolutely love it. And so I just, and it, it does, it, it just keeps me focused on others. So uh, Christy and I were uh, in London last weekend for our 30th anniversary. Amazing. And, uh, and we're uh, at a restaurant and um, uh, there's a couple sitting beside us and um, we just got talking to them briefly and they were from up, uh, up north, like near Newcastle and come to London. It was her birthday last week. And so when we were leaving, I just thought, man, let's buy their dinner. 
right? Or if I often, if I'm at an airport and I see like someone in military uniform, I'll, if they're in a queue for food, I'll try to go and buy their meal. Like, and, and I'm not saying that to big me up because it's not a lot of money, but it's, it's just, I, I know that if I don't intentionally try to bless particularly strangers and don't tell them, so we didn't tell the couple, um, it was really hard to explain to our waitress. Um, it took about 10 minutes for me to explain that because she's like, so how do you know them? And I'm like, oh, I don't know them. She's like, but you're buying their dinner. I'm like, yeah. And she's like, so how do you know them? And I'm like, I don't know them. She went, yeah, but you're buying their dinner. And I'm like, yeah. And she said, so when did y'all meet? And I said, about 15 minutes ago. And she said, you're buying their dinner. And I'm like, yeah, but don't, don't tell them. And then another waitress came over because she needed to explain it. And then they got the manager over. And now there are four of us. And I'm just like, I'm just trying to give you people money. And there's, I'm breaking the whole restaurant. And, and so Christy and I just quickly left. And, um, and, and they were like, we're not sure how we're going to explain this to them. But we're, and I, when we left, you could see all four of them going over to the table, <laughs> right, to explain. Now, again, Please hear me, and, and I hope you know my heart. Like, that's not, it was not much money, and it's not a pride issue. It, it's actually more like, I am so selfish. I am so greedy. And I know if I don't regularly try to do stuff like that, that I'm, I'm just a bit of a jerk. And, and so I have to make myself do this. Does that make sense? And so we, we overcome it. And then lastly, uh, guys, we, uh, we see this, finally. As a disciple of Jesus, I overcome greed by maintaining an eternal perspective. I overcome greed by maintaining uh, an eternal perspective. And so Jesus says this in verses 20 and 21. But God said to the man, remember he said, my crops, my barns, my surplus, I'm going to take it easy, it's all about me, 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 me. But God said to the man, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? What God knew was what this man didn't know, and that was that that very night, he was going to die. And that his crops and his barns and his surplus would all belong to someone else. And so... uh, God says, for you and I to overcome greed, we want to maintain an eternal perspective. Uh, Jesus would say it another way in a familiar passage in Matthew 6. Jesus says this. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vernum do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. And watch this. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus says, keep an eternal perspective. It's not about what you're doing for the world and for yourself, but it's about what you're doing for Jesus and the kingdom. And Jesus gives us this wonderful reminder that everything we own, right, can be destroyed by moths and by mice. That's vermin. Moths and mice and masked men. Those are my three M's. I remember that passage, right? Thieves, right? Or masked women. Women can be thieves too, amen? Just making it equal for all of us, right? Masked individuals, right? 
moths, mouse, and mast people. Uh, we, as you know, uh, Christy and I, every four or five years, we have to leave for uh, six months uh, to go back to America. And so when we did that last, we got that time got extended because of COVID. So we were gone about nine months. And so uh, even though we had people checking on our house, no one had been like living in our house for nine months. And so we came back and it's always wonderful, like, you know, to be home. And, uh, and we go out into the garage and, uh, and Christy says, I think we have a problem. And, uh, and we go out into our garage, which is where we store like Christmas decorations, all that kind of stuff's in the garage. And um, we had residents that had taken up in our garage, and they were the second M. They were mice. And I don't know what they did, but it looked like they'd had a rave. Like it had just been like a nine-month mouse party in our garage. And there were all the signs, if you know what I mean, right? And, uh, and so we cleaned it up. It was a bit nasty, and we uh, I, I wouldn't kill one, but I did catch one, and he was really cute. And uh, Kayla and I took him and released him back in the wild, and I'm not making this up. He turned around and ran right back towards our house. Uh, I'm like, well, you know what? Good on him. And so we got rid of the mice. We're cleaning up the mess. Fast forward. That's like March. Yeah, that's March. Fast forward to Christmas. And we begin to take out the Christmas decorations, and we open the first box of Christmas decorations, and guess what? They've all been eaten. Some of these we've had for 30 years since we were married. Gone. And it was one of those times where I was like, I think Jesus said that, right? The, 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 the vermin came and destroyed the Dubnik's Christmas decorations. And so Jesus says, why fall in love with your stuff when a little mouse that big can destroy it. But instead, love me, serve me, uh, follow me, and the treasures you lay up will be in heaven, and you will get them one day, and they are stored up in a place where there are no mice, where there are no moths, and where no one wears a mask. Lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Uh, let me ask us all these questions, and, and, then, uh, and then we're done. Um, because I don't want us to get caught into the trap of thinking greed is just about our stuff. So remember, it's not about our stuff, it's about us. It's about who we are. And so um, I wrote this out for myself. And I was just kind of thinking, where, if I have enough sense to be able to see it, or, or I probably need to ask others, like, where in my life do you see me being greedy? And so God has given all of us in this room three things. Every one of us in this room have the same three things. We have time, and we all have that equally, right? We'll all get 24 hours this day, right? So we all have time. All of us have talents. All of us are good at something. You may not think you do, but I promise you do. Uh, There's only one of you in the history of the universe. and God makes no mistakes. And, And so all of us have talents. But then all of us have treasure. Uh, it, it, all of us have money of some sort, of, of some varying degree, all of us have finances, right? So we all have time, talents, and treasure. And here's the question. Where might you and I struggle with greed? Now, uh, let, me, let me remind us of what greed is. Greed is the arrogant assumption 
that all things, including people, exist for my benefit. The arrogant assumption that all things, including people, exist for my benefit. Therefore, with my time, how might I be tempted to use my time just for my own benefit, not for the benefit of anyone else? Like, this is me. This is just my time. and No one dare intrude on it. But what about my talents? Maybe there are things that I know I'm capable of doing, but uh, if somehow I can benefit from it, I'm willing to do it. But if I receive no benefit, then I'm not willing to do it. See, I'm being greedy with my talent. Maybe it is my treasure. Maybe it is the way I spend the things that God has given me. So I'm, I'm happy to start the conversation and to be fully transparent. Uh, for me, um, I can be very tempted to be greedy with my time, to be greedy with my time, and, and to think, you know, I've, I've given time to church, and I've given time to Jesus, and I've given time to my family, but, but uh, th- this time's for me, and, and I can be very greedy about kind of guarding my time and, this, and almost building a wall around my time sometimes, and I'll, I'll, I won't answer an email. I'll, and I don't mean, you know the difference between a healthy way and an unhealthy way. I mean in a very unhealthy way, in a very selfish way, where it's just all about me, right? Um, now, hear me, I, I understand there sometimes Jesus would go alone to be alone with the Father. That's a good thing. A Sabbath is a good thing. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about when we know. And so I know, um, now sometimes um, I'm be even a step further transparent, I can do it when people maybe don't even realize I'm doing it. So for example, I can be in a conversation, I can be nodding my head a lot, but I'm actually not listening to what the person's saying because I feel like they're a bit intruding on my time because even in a space like the cafe, I was kind of there to have me time. Does that make sense? And so uh, I have been guilty of, I'm telling you all my sins, this is great. I've been guilty of before putting headphones in but not listening to anything just so people wouldn't stop to talk to me because I wanted to be left alone. Now, you know, uh, if i am got headphones on, please ask me, what are you listening to, <laughs> right? Um, not you, right? So, so here's my question. For you, where are you tempted to be greedy? So I'm not saying this to be to bring on any kind of guilt or condemnation. But like, I can remember the church I pastored, we, we had a membership of 600. And we never had enough, never had enough workers for the crash. Membership of 600. And this is what a lot of older people would say to me. Well, I did my time. Uh, well, I don't have small kids anymore. I did my time. What does that even mean? You did your time. Number one, it sounds like we had you in crash prison. Like, it's not Alcatraz down there, right? Like, you did your time. What, did you get, like, a tattoo? Like, what? But then secondly, what is this idea of, like, I'm capable of doing it, but I'm not going to do it? Sounds a bit greedy. And, And so maybe it is with our talents, but then maybe it is with our treasure. Uh, We've, we've got a few moments. This doesn't have to turn into confess all my deepest, darkest secrets. You don't need to do that. But none of us are here because we're perfect. Amen? 
maybe around your table, could we just take five or six minutes and just say, you know what, when I'm tempted to be greedy, I'm probably tempted in this area. And there's something about even just being able to acknowledge that that helps us overcome it. Are you with me? All right, one, two, three, go, and then I'll close us out in prayer in just a minute. Sam, if you have any music that facilitates greed, feel free to put that on. (laughs) 